Good morning. That was a really nice encouragement from Mark there. Um, we'll see if all of you think the same after we get done with today's sermon. So uh, Matthew chapter 3. We're in a tough section here. So I hope everybody's buckled in, uh, ready to kind of dig through with us today. Uh, Matthew chapter 3. We're going to cover the first 12 verses. So you can turn there as you were just encouraged to so that we can look at this together. And hopefully, I think as we go through this morning, one of the things that um, we're going to focus on is a topic that is not incredibly popular uh, in today's day and age. It is the topic of repentance. And it is an incredibly important one uh, in Scripture. It's an incredibly important one in our relationship with the Lord and with each other. So we're going to focus in today as John does. And as he brings attention to it, we're going to kind of pull our way through that. But I want to, before we start in, I just wanted to encourage you, we... If you, if you have seen any of the news or, um, or caught up at any world events uh, the last 24 hours or so, uh, there is a new conflict in the Middle East, um, and we need to pray. We need to pray that people will be safe. We need to pray that, um, that hopefully uh, it, it is resolved quickly and that more people do not lose their lives or are put in danger, peril, or fear. We've been hearing reports, I've heard reports from people in Israel already, um, and one of our missionaries will be with us next weekend for our missions weekend, uh, by God's grace, uh, as long as he is able to still be here, uh, is from Israel, he lives in Israel, uh, his daughter has been called up into active duty already um, back there while he's here in the States, which is very difficult for him, but um, it's a tough, it's a really tough circumstance, and uh, there's already been loss of life, so I would encourage you to pray. That's the best thing we can do as the people of God. So I want to encourage you to do that, and we will do that as a church family together uh, as we go forward, too. So please remember uh, the people in that part of the world, and uh, particularly the innocent victims there as well. Uh, let's pray that the Lord uh, gives a lot of grace uh, throughout that circumstance that's, that's partway around the world for us. So God's word this morning, Matthew chapter 3. Uh, last week, we finished out chapter 2, and there was a couple of strong encouragements for us from God's Word. And Matthew wanted to hone in on a few things that I think at the end of chapter 3 were really important. And those things, just as a ma matter of reminder, were this. We were encouraged to remember some things. One, to remember the consistency of our God. That God is incredibly, perfectly consistent. Two, we were encouraged to remember that Satan has a plan. He's got a plan to disrupt things in your life and in God's plan. Now, we know that God wins, but that doesn't make it any easier for us if we are not aware that there is a plan in place, and he would like to distract you in that. And then thirdly, we were called to remember to respond with the faithful obedience like Joseph and other characters we see in Scripture. So as we remember the consistency of the Lord, as we remember that Satan has a plan to disrupt that consistency and particularly harm us as we try to follow him. And then thirdly, we are called to respond. And, and part of what we're going to talk about today in Matthew chapter 3, the beginning part of Matthew chapter 3, is that very response. And John the Baptist is a character that gets introduced to us here. And as he gets introduced to us, his message is crystal clear. So let's Hone in a little bit as we read and then as we talk about and pull apart what God has for us this morning. Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 12 verses for us and then we'll go back and kind of dig in. Matthew 3 verse 1. 
It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw that many Pharisees and Sadducees were coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. May God bless his, the, his word to our hearts this morning as we look into it. And I think particularly this is not a... Uh, a light or cheery passage of scripture. John the Baptist is one of these guys that today we'd probably call him kind of a doomsday preacher, right? Like he really brings the conviction. That's what John is doing here. And it it is, as scripture tells us, it was John's singular role that the Lord had laid out for him to proclaim repentance and prepare the way for Jesus. Now we see this picture here of John. You got to imagine, I mean, if you're just thinking through, the picture of John that's created for us here just physically is somewhat of a startling representation, right? He's wearing camel hair for clothing. He's eating wild locusts and honey. That's his food. And he's wandering in the desert. He, He lives out there. He's not just visiting or talking out there. He lives out there in the wilderness. This guy is probably quite startling to see. Even more startling to hear what he's saying. The day in which John is bringing this word, this is not a popular phrase for him to be using. It's not a popular phrase for us to be using today. Some things haven't changed. See, the beginning of Matthew chapter 3 here, John is appearing, he's preaching in this Judean desert, and it's, it's roughly about 25 years after the previous chapter kind of ends, okay? So we're seeing a, a big gap here between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. It's not a roll on to the next week, okay? So there's 25 to maybe 28 years in between these two passages of Scripture. Matthew makes this big leap, and, and I've always kind of wondered, like, we don't have a lot recorded for those 25-plus-ish years of Jesus' life. What was he doing? Where was he? 
Well, we know where he lived. He lived in Nazareth. His father was a carpenter, Joseph, and he, he probably learned that trade. That's probably what he knew to do. It's probably all he knew to do, to be honest. But they probably lived a pretty modest life. He had grown up now. He was not the two-year-old infant that was being protected by his parents uh, earlier. But now Matthew picks up here, and it is kind of a big shift. The other Gospels have a little more details in there, some about when, when Jesus was 12 and he was in the temple, some about some different circumstances. But Matthew goes right from the end of chapter 2, jumps all the way out to the preparation for Jesus' public ministry. Because Matthew, if you remember, the proclamation from Matthew, and each of the Gospels has a slightly different emphasis about Jesus' earthly life. Matthew's emphasis is, this is the king. This is the king, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Matthew goes right in to saying, hey, and now we have this character, John the Baptist. But we see something here as we look at verse 3, and we're going to go back to the first couple of verses in a minute. But we've been emphasizing this through the first three, two chapters, and this carries on in chapter 3. Verse 3 says, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. See, Matthew is tying John's message, which is a new message for the people that were hearing it. He's tying John's message to all of the previous message of God's word. Again, highlighting what we've seen God highlighting already. He is consistently faithful, and his message has never changed. John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he is presenting it quite differently. More of kind of the, the Old Testament prophet piece. And most commentators and historians would say, John is the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist. He kind of wraps up that age. Now, now there was a, a large gap, if you remember, between the end of the Old Testament scriptures and the book of Matthew, 400 years. But John is in the style and in the, the kind of, he walks in the way of those Old Testament prophets, declaring stark realities and calling people to something very clear. So John's message is tied to all that has happened before. And this, because John's message is tied to all that has happened before, inextricably links Jesus' message to all that has happened before because John is basically saying, now you get to hear from the main character. That's his message. He's preparing the way and saying, I'm not the big deal here, even though I'm kind of a circus show out here in the wilderness. The real main character is coming. And even now he's here. So let's look. I want to highlight three specific things that we see from this particular, particular passage. The first one is this. Both John and his message of repentance came directly from God. Verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's John's message. If you read other uh, passages of scripture about John the Baptist, if you look into some historical context and commentators, this was basically all that John was willing to say. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is his 
This is his party line. This is his mantra. Whatever phrase you want to put onto this, this is what John had to say. And no matter how other people tried to get him distracted, John always brought it back to this one thing. Repent. And why? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is something that people of God have been looking for forever. They've been waiting for it. They, they had no idea when it was coming. They knew the Messiah needed to precede it or bring it with him. So when John says this, repent, and why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. People took a step back. They've been waiting for this, right? And even if they hadn't heard of this Jesus of Nazareth already, John is all of a sudden saying, everybody here, the Jews, know that in order for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand, the Messiah has to be on the scene. So for him to say these words implies very clearly to the people listening, the Messiah is here. This is what John's saying with this phrase from verse 2. And we're going to come back and revisit some of this about what it means to repent and what John is staying in line with the Old Testament prophets with in this particular phrase of repentance. Because repentance is not new. John's not the first one to call Jesus, God's people to repent. People long before John, prophets, men of God, leaders of God's people have been calling for repentance for a very long time, generations, hundreds of years. John calls for it for a slightly different purpose, but it falls in line exactly with what these people would have already known from God's word and God's story. So John's wandering in the wilderness, and one of the interesting things is I was kind of preparing and walking my way through, this idea of desert, the desert in the wilderness, is often used historically, not just biblically, but in other historical contexts, Time out in the desert is used as a time of renewal and message clearing. So this is often the way it goes. People would go out into the wilderness. They would get their heads clear. Maybe you have a different way of doing this. Maybe it's the forest for you or the trails. You go up to the mountains, the Adirondacks. You go sit by a lake. You sit by the water. But that, that's kind of the connotation here when he's walking in the wilderness. He, he lives in the wilderness. He's just not even just visiting the wilderness. This is where John resides in the wilderness, the desert of Judea is equated with renewal, change, and a message being clarified while you're there. See, we'll see this again get carried over in the life of Christ in the next chapter here, but we're not going to jump ahead of ourselves, okay? But this is where John is at, and this is something that was accustomed to prophets that have gone before him, or world leaders, or, or uh, people who had been influential. They would go out to the wilderness, get time alone, clarify their message, and come back. Now, John, instead of going out and coming back, John actually just stays there. But his message is so stark that people are going out there to hear it. They're heading out to the wilderness, to the desert. Because there's this guy out there, and word starts to spread. Not only is his message fairly startling, but his appearance is startling. He's not well kept. He's not, he's not prepared for, to be a great orator in the, in the common way that you would see in ancient days. Instead, he looks like a homeless guy with camel hair eating locusts and honey. And he is. 
And while he is, God gives him an unbelievably clear message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Ezekiel said very similar terms. In Ezekiel 18, 30, it says, repent and turn from your transgressions, was the message of Ezekiel. John the Baptist here says, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Jesus later says, repent and believe the gospel. Peter then preaches in Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized. And Paul later in Acts chapter 17 says that God commands all people everywhere to repent. This term, repent, it's pretty consistent through Scripture. It is not a popular topic, folks. I know you might be sitting there thinking, oh boy, here we go, right? Pastor's going to talk about repentance for the next, you know, 20 plus minutes or however long I carry on, right? This is not a message that we are probably even in our day and age super familiar with. Because we could use the term repent, and I think sometimes we even use it quite flippantly. Oh yeah, I've repented. Have you? Do, do you understand what that really carries with it? John was being real clear about what it carried with him. Jesus would continue to clarify this as John hands off the baton to him and Jesus runs the finish of the race. But this repentance is consistent. God's people have always been called to it, but repentance has never been easy. I'm going to repeat that in case you didn't hear me. Repentance has never been easy. It's never been easy. It's not easy today. No one likes to be told, you have to die to yourself. You have to admit that you are wrong. And you have to change. That's not something that your flesh wants to hear. It's not something that is going to be a super popular topic out in public. And it wasn't in this day and age either. Most of the people coming to watch John, while a lot of them were getting baptized into the kind of repentance he was calling them to, a lot of them were just coming to watch and stare. And there were a lot of bystanders that were not responding to the message that God had called. And then even later in this passage, there were some that were coming with ulterior motives. And John deals very directly with them. I want to clarify this topic of repentance for us. What does it mean? And how do we actively participate in the repentance that God calls us to? Repentance is not easy. Here's what might be easy. Regret is easy. Making a bad choice, walking away thinking, ah, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have done that differently. That's regret. Regret's easy. You can walk away from a lot of things and feel that way about them. That's not repentance. Embarrassment is easy. Make a decision or say something about someone and maybe, maybe that person you were talking about was close enough to hear it from you. And you walk away, how? Embarrassed. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done it that way. So regret's easy and embarrassment is easy. Also, apologizing is easy. 
Saying you're sorry for something is still easier than repentance. Now, is regret and embarrassment and an apology often kind of lumped into what could be true repentance? It, it might be, yeah. But repentance itself is very clearly defined in God's word, and it requires more from us than regret or embarrassment or even, even just apologizing. Repentance involves two distinct things that we see from Scripture, and it's clear enough because it's the actual word that's used for repentance here. We're going to talk about that word in a minute. These two things that repentance involves. Repentance means to change your mind, and repentance means to change your behavior. You have to change your mind and your behavior in order to repent the way that Scripture calls us to. So when John says this in verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is he saying? Change your mind about the things that I am talking about and change your behavior because of those things. I've often heard it described this way, right? Repentance is turning away and turning towards something. And that's a pretty good analogy. The word used here is metanoia in the Greek. And it's a combination of two phrases. So here it is. One, meta, which is changed. And two, noia, which is mind, the word for mind. What John is calling people to here is to think differently and then, because you're thinking differently, live differently. It's a tough one, folks. I think the easier part of those two equations is to think in our minds that we have changed our minds about something. That's probably a little bit easier because it's a little harder to quantify than to actually look at our lives and say, okay, if you've changed your mind, does your life look like it? Do your actions look like it? Are you different than you were before when you thought one way? And then in changing your mind and allowing God to do that in your life, then you live completely differently as a result of it? Changing your mind and changing your behavior. Let's talk first about changing your mind. Changing your mind about what? What does biblical repentance mean when it says you need to change your mind about something, which is literally changing your thinking? Three things, I think, Scripture is very clear about. One, you need to change your mind about yourself. So if you're taking notes, you can start here. There's going to be three of these. Change your mind about yourself. How? We all need to come to the realization that we are not fundamentally, at our core, good enough. We're not. We're not good enough for God. Now, I'm not trying to depress you or beat you down this morning because the gospel still informs this truth. But the change of mind that I think Scripture is very clear about is going from thinking, you know what, I'm pretty good. My good stuff might outweigh my bad stuff. Constantly working to kind of weigh the scales in that direction. 
And what the Bible calls us to, what God has always called us people to, is to say, stop thinking that way and think rightly about yourself. What does the scripture say about ourselves? I am fundamentally not good enough for God. I am also not the center of the universe. I am also not the key character in the story of history or the present. And I am not the king of the world or even my own life. Are we ready for that? See, when you repent the way that Scripture calls us to, it's not just, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. Oh, that's a, that's a key part of it, so don't, don't walk away thinking that's not important. It is that. It is also, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins and rising from the dead, and because of that, I am going to relinquish control of my life to you. I'm going to turn it over, because I am not the king of the world, or my own life. I am not the center of the universe. I can't even keep my own life intact, much less try to do that for other people. So when we repent, we have to change our thinking about ourselves. And even as I'm probably saying this, I know I've had to walk this through with the Lord even in preparation for standing up and declaring this because I will guarantee you this, I'm going to be a lot more responsible for this that I say today than you are. And part of that is understanding for myself, hey, have I walked this out well? Do I understand I'm not the king of the universe? And even if I do, do I even understand I'm not Lord of my own life? If I've accepted the gospel, Jesus is Lord of my life. He's the one that gets to make decisions. He's the one who's sovereign and in control. What happens when we don't change our mind about ourselves in this way? We end up frustrated. We end up anxious because we try to take control and we can't. We end up annoyed with other people when they don't do things the way we think the universe should work. We end up judging everyone all of the time eventually. Because we really do think that we're Lord of our lives. And we have to change our mind. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to give us a new outlook. See, John wasn't talking to people who had never heard this message of the kingdom of God. John was talking to people who knew this message of the kingdom of heaven coming of the Messiah that they had waited for. They knew that message, but they were looking for it and trying to control it in the wrong way. And John said, you need, you need to change. You need to change, because he's here, and he's not what you were thinking he was. He's not going to show up on a big white horse with armor on and go out and kill all the Romans and take over. That's not the kingdom of heaven. That's an earthly kingdom. And what is that picture that you've created maybe in your own life or maybe even the society around you has kind of created this picture for you or you've responded to society in this way where you think God should come and do a particular thing. But God came and already did the thing. 
So a lot of times repentance includes for us, even as believers saying, do I need to take a good inventory of my own life? Is Jesus Lord of my life or do I think I am? And not only are you willing to admit that, maybe cognitively or out loud, but does your life look like Jesus is Lord of your life? That he's the one on the throne, that he's the one making decisions. This is all included in this one sentence that John's bringing to us. This word repentance is not taken lightly for the people that are hearing it or for John himself. So first, to repent means to change your mind about yourself, to willingly acknowledge that we are broken sinners, not worthy of the salvation that God has brought to us. Secondly, we need to change our mind about sin. I am responsible for my actions. My past hurts do not excuse my present failings. That's a tough one. My offenses against God and against others are not trivial or minute. And I do not live or think or feel naturally in my flesh as I should. This is all how we need to view sin. I'm responsible for my actions. It does not matter. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't matter to you. It does not matter in how you respond at what has happened to you previously. I want to be careful with this phrase, but I want us to understand how God views this. Your past hurts or things that have happened to you do not justify you acting in a way that God would not be pleased with. They don't. Do they inform who you are? Absolutely. Do they stick with you? Do you need to process them with the work of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God? Yes, they do. But folks, do not make excuses for sin because of something that happened to you. Don't do that. That would say that circumstances run your life. That what God has done for you, the one circumstance that makes more difference in your life than anything else, his salvation through the cross and his resurrection from the dead, that that one circumstance is not as important as something else that has happened to you. It doesn't mean we don't need help. It doesn't mean things don't affect us. You have been given emotions. We are emotional people from God. He gave us emotions, but he does not want them to run our lives. He wants to run our lives. Graciously, sovereignly, sacrificially, as he's already proven to us. With mercy and love, he wants to be Lord of your life, not your circumstances. Because what happens is then we start to justify sin. Yeah, I did say that to that person, but they said something to me first. Now, as an adult, that seems odd coming out of our mouths, right? Feels like it's something we would correct our kids for. But how often do we do that in our spirit? We justify sin because of circumstances that happen to us or around us. We also have a tendency to justify our sin because we don't believe that our offenses against God are really that important. We, we brush them under the table or, or we, we kind of move away from them and think, okay, if I don't keep looking at it, I can act like that didn't happen. 
But folks, when you offend God, when you disobey God, when you sin against God, you need to actually repent. That's more than feeling regret. It's more than being embarrassed about it. And it's more than saying, oh, I'm sorry I did that. Those things may be involved in it. But true, active repentance is more than that. Change your mind about yourself that you do need Jesus. That he is the only one who can change your life. Change your mind about sin. That you and I are responsible for what we do. And those things are offenses against God when they are disobedient to him and outside of his will. And thirdly, change your mind about God. Change your mind about who you think he is. This is true repentance. He is trustworthy. His word is consistent and sure. He is able to forgive and to save. I believe in God's son, Jesus Christ. I owe him my life and my allegiance. He's my king and my sovereign. And he wants what is best for me. I believe this. See, whatever your preconceived thoughts about God might be, the God of the universe that has revealed himself to us clearly and is actively participating in our lives, that is the God that we need to believe. Not an idea of him. Not a preconceived notion. Not who you feel like God is sometimes when you're in a place of hurt or hardship. But who God actually is. We need to change our mind about him. Can you accurately say those words? I just read that he is trustworthy. God is trustworthy for whatever it is you are in the midst of. He's with you. He is able to forgive and to save. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, I owe him my life. So from now and every time forward, my life is his. It's not my own. And I trust that he wants what is best for me. Do we really believe these things? Because changing our mind about these key things, about ourselves, about our sin, and about God, has huge impact on how we live. And that's what John's calling people to. Not just accept this new guy who's coming behind me because he's got a good message. Too often I think that's the box that Jesus gets put in. Great guy, good message. Yeah, I believe he died for my sin. But it's more than that, folks. Our salvation doesn't depend on more than that, but our right living does. He needs to be Lord of our lives, and our decisions need to reflect it. John was calling this out knowing this, that he would be vilified publicly, that he would be ridiculed. I believe that God was already preparing John the Baptist for the fact that one day he was going to be thrown in prison and his head was going to be chopped off because he would not deny his faith in God and his message about Jesus.
Are we willing to change our mind about ourselves? Are we willing to change our mind about sin? And are we willing to change our mind about God? That will result in repentance changing our behavior. It's like this. Someone's driving a car. You're going down the road. And as you are going down this road that you've driven down a hundred times already, all of a sudden there are orange and white blockades up because the road is closed. Now, if the road is closed and there are blockades in front of you and you're driving down the road, you need to change course. But too often, I think in our own lives, we don't change course. We think, I've been down this road. I know where it goes. It'll be all right. I'll be fine. I don't, I don't know why these signs are here. This doesn't make any sense. I've driven this road before. I'm just going to keep going. Repentance and change of behavior is driving down that road you've been down before, seeing the signs, the warning signs from God and saying, stop the car, turn around, and go a different way. Because that's, that's what change looks like. That's what recognizing who we are, I don't know better than God, who are, what our sin is like when I offend God, I need to repent of that, and that God is who God says he is. So therefore, when he puts a blockade in front of me, I'm not going to blow through it. But too often we do, right, with our sin. Say that God won't notice, or I know what's on the other side, I'll be okay. But there's a big drop-off on the other side. And when you ignore what God has called you to, and even the warning signs to repent and turn away, you end up driving off that cliff. And you put yourself in peril. Change of behavior. We do not change our behavior because we're hoping to get acceptance from God. See, that's what the law is, right? The Old Testament law was trying to hold together ideas about what God had called his people to do and the steps taken so that in those things, they hopefully could gain God's favor. But in the end, they realized they couldn't and they had to make sacrifices because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. The gospel says you don't change your behavior to get God's favor. You change your behavior because you have it. You've already got God's favor in Christ. Therefore, you should live differently. And the Holy Spirit should be working in your life to show you how to do that. This message of repentance that John brings here, this is not just a simple phrase in a sentence. When people hear this from John, they might be thinking kind of like you're thinking now. That's an awful lot to ask, John. That's an awful lot to ask, Pastor Rob. Good thing is, I'm not the one asking. If you don't like the message, this is what John the Baptist had to say. You can deal with God on it. It's his message. I'm just here. John the Baptist is getting up and telling people what God told him to say. People didn't like it, and John said, sorry, I'm just the mailman. I, I didn't write the mail. I, I, I didn't send it to you. I'm just delivering it. Here you go. God requires of us to live in a way that 
is changed because of the grace and mercy he has brought to us and the realization that he always does what is good, right, and perfect. I mean, just put that in context for yourself for a minute. If you knew and believed that God was always going to do what was good, right, and perfect, why would you ever disobey him? It it doesn't make any sense then. If you believe this, then we should live in light of it. And that's what John's calling people to here. They had heard the message of the kingdom of heaven. They had heard about the Messiah that one day will come. They had heard about the restoration of God's people. They had heard all these things, and in their minds, they thought they believed it. But now John's saying, oh, he's here. Now we're going to find out if you believe it. Now we'll know, because he's here. He's come. We need to recognize you cannot come to the Savior without forsaking your sin. It's part of the deal, folks. You see how good God is, and you see how trash and rubbish all your sin has brought into your life, and you think, why? Absolutely. I'm turning to God. That's part of the act of repentance. There are a few things more important in this life than understanding what God has called us to in repentance. So important that in God's word, in Revelation, in the Gospels, in the Epistles, in the Old Testament, through the prophets and many others, God makes it clear that you do not go to heaven without repentance. Which is more than, remember, regret, embarrassment, or even an apology. This message of repentance that John brings, Isaiah gave so many years earlier. Verse 3, for this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, that's John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Isaiah 40, verse 3, Matthew says, when we heard John the Baptist out there in the wilderness yelling all the time and declaring his one singular message, everybody remembered Isaiah 40 and said, this is who God was talking about. There's somebody coming before the Messiah to prepare the way, to clear the way, out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. That's what John the Baptist was doing. Repentance was his singular theme and topic. And it has been God's singular theme and topic for all of eternity. Since sin entered the world, there's only one thing that God requires. That we repent and believe. The belief part, in our eyes, oftentimes is easier. But the repentance is what shows that we've done it. Have we changed our mind about ourselves? Have we changed our mind about our sin? And have we changed our mind about God? And in doing so, could people poke around in your life, into those dark corners you try to keep away from everybody, and see that you're different because of him? That you're not in control of your life? That God is? 
that Jesus sits on the throne, not only in heaven, but in your heart and in your life. This is the kind of repentance that John was calling people to. I'm going to hit pause here. We obviously did not cover 12 verses. We'll come back next week. Don't worry. It'll still be here. And we'll unpack more of it. But this idea of repentance is the theme that John the Baptist dies for. It is the message that Jesus brings to us. And it's not a message that is driven out of guilt. So I I want you to hear me on this as we close. This is not a message to walk away thinking, I'm a horrible person. This is a message that is overwhelmingly about our great God. It's not about you and it's not about me. That's one of the things we need to repent of, making it about you or me. This is about God, that people who can't live up to the standard he's given them, that people who can't keep his law perfectly, that people who, even when they know the right thing to do occasionally, and maybe more than occasionally, choose to do the wrong thing. And he would send his son to die to save you, to save me. In my mind, that makes no sense, folks. Apart from the grace of God, we have nothing. That's repentance. I've got nothing to bring to the table that God's going to even look at and want to take. Jesus gives me everything I need. And that's the message of repentance. So I can turn away from and change anything else because everything else is completely secondary to the fact that the Messiah has come. And John's preparing the way for people to hear that message. We'll hear more as we unpack next week and walk through how the religious leaders and people around him and the crowds responded to this message. It's not good. But many respond well. So this morning as we close, I want to pray this, that that we would be people who are marked by true repentance and that people that look at our lives would know it's more than lip service that we believe in the God who has saved us. It's written all over our lives. And we live differently because of it, and there's no denying it. So let's ask the Lord to help us to do that, to fall in line with what the prophets and John the Baptist brought to us, and what Jesus brings to us today. That you can have the free gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and life with Jesus forever, simply because of what he did for you. That message should change how we live. Let's ask him to help us do it. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us, and particularly this message of repentance, Lord. While it may not be popular in our day, Lord, it may not be popular in our own hearts, we ask that you would give us the grace to surrender. Work in our hearts to see your mercy through the cross in our lives. And that your gift of salvation, Lord, would so deeply change who we are that how we live just falls right in line with it. God, I am amazed 
to consider once again this morning how good and gracious you are to people who are broken. And Lord, I ask that we would see you clearly. We would see ourselves clearly in light of that. And we would know that our sin is clearly in need of repentance. And in doing so, Lord, we would be amongst the people that even John baptized and they went away looking rightly for the Messiah. Help us to see clearly all that you've done and all that you want to do in our lives and in our world. Thank you for being a merciful, gracious God, Lord. This morning, I pray that we leave without conviction or condemnation because your word tells us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So help us to be free and to live in light of that. And Lord, if there are those here that have not experienced that freedom and surrendered their hearts to you, let today be the day. Let now be the moment. We pray that you would move and you would bring many into your family just as John was preparing the way to happen through Jesus. Help that to be true today. It's in the precious name of Christ that we pray. Amen.